This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Welcome to Manawatu Conversations, recollections of the past and sometimes opinions about the future. Today we have with us... Tanya Kapitko. Alison Milton. And I'm Stuart Burks. Now, Tanya, you were born in Palmerston North. I certainly was, at the public hospital, in fact. Yeah. (laughs) Can't get more palmy than that. Right. So you grew up here, went to school here? I did. I went to university here. Um, so, yes, I'm a product of Massey University. Oh, studying what? I, well, I specialised in social anthropology. I went to um, university to study geography and English and probably going to be an Engl- uh, a teacher, English teacher, and I fell in love with social anthropology. Oh, was that uh, in what sort of area? I mean, third world type thing, or in, just in general, gen- general, just general social idea. anthropology? Yes, we had he- we had a very very good department then. I mean, I guess the department's very good now. But mm. we had um, Sir Hugh Carfrew was the head of department, very distinguished mm. man. We had um, Michael Jackson um, as one of the professors, and he was a very very mm. excellent lecturer. Um, Ian Duncan. It was a really really good um, department mm. and. Um, Um, What I suppose it first did is it got me interested in understanding the way society is. And I guess I can link that to other aspects of my background. You might gather from my name that I don't sound like a typical New Zealander. So I am a um, child of migrant stock. So my mother was a New Zealander, but my father came from Belarus and he came here after World Mm. War II. And like anybody that comes from a background where your parents come from two different cultures, it sets you up in a different way in relation to your society. And so for me, I suppose... Um, studying social anthropology helped me start to answer mm. some questions about why different yeah. cultures behave in different okay. ways. And it fascinated yeah. me. And I carried on with that. But what was so lovely about that department is that they were very, very supportive of us following our deep interests in the subject. And my interest artistically has always been dance. And one of the papers that we did was about mythology and we were able to analyse something mythological and I also asked, would it be possible to analyse a folk dance? And they said, why not? Something unusual? Give it a go. So I did. I analysed actually what was a um, Russian, very old-fashioned Russian folk dance about the cycles of the moon and the Mm. seasons. And you could analyse it in all its symbolism, like any story, any myth or anything else. And they were Mm. very supportive of this. And so they said, why don't you carry on and specialise in dance anthropology? And they encouraged me to look outside of New Zealand as to where I could do this, because it was a very new topic. They said we could 
help you here but we would be learning with you you should go to a university where you can do it and that led me in the end to going to the Queen's University in Belfast and doing my PhD in dance anthropology so from Palmerston North I've also studied overseas and Mm. I've linked my I suppose university studies with my love of the arts Mm. And finding out who I am on the process. So there you are. So, so were you aiming for an academic career? Not at all. And in fact, I haven't had an academic career um, because one of the joys of social anthropology is that you, you could follow an academic path and do more and more and more research, or it sets you up with the tools to be able to work in a developmental way within a community. And that is something that's always interested me more. Now, that's interesting because a lot of the, the views of, of anthropology, be thinking of third world or primitive mm. societies and so on, but I know it has, but they have looked at, uh, what was this, the book, Watching the English, which mm-hmm. was uh, anthropology of, of mm. English society. So the focus you got in your training here mm-hmm. was looking at New Zealand society as well? No, or just it was looking broad at broad principles. Um, uh, yeah, the, the broad principles of, uh, of anthropology, so it could be looking at kinship or looking at marriage or looking at different institutions, political institutions and comparing mm. them, or it could be looking at something in a specific society. So we didn't actually focus on New Zealand society then. The societies that we focused on were the societies that our lecturers had done their research in. Okay. So that we had first hand information on how people oh. went about their research and very deep knowledge of those societies. And they were generally well, third world Michael or? Michael Jackson had um, worked in um, Sierra Leone. Hugh Carfrew mm. of course had done his study with Maori. Um, so it depended on yeah. what, what what they were doing. Yeah. But third world now we wouldn't yeah. call it at all, no. yeah. um, because yeah. and and I would totally agree. Human beings are human beings. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter what society you live in. We're all trying to seek answers to yeah. something. So what? So what would be the distinction between sociology and social anthropology? Oh lordy, I don't know. Ask them at the department. Uh, one one has got to focus on modern society. Well, that's how I okay. used to feel it was. And social anthropology has got more of a focus on societies outside your own. Okay. But yeah. I don't know. It's probably changed now because social anthropology has had to change. I think most most anthropologists study their own societies. I think yes. gone are the day are people from outside society going and studying somebody else's culture. That is, yeah, so even that's more into not, that not colonial sort that, of... Yeah, totally, exactly. Yeah. Although sometimes yeah, people from outside well. have very good insights. As, yeah. But people work as teams, you know, it's sort yeah. of changed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's cool. But yeah. anyhow, I specialised in dance anthropology yeah. and I came back to New Zealand to do my research. And I did my research in Palmerston North. And I was at the time when breakdance first started in New Zealand. And so my PhD thesis was actually a comparison between ballet and breakdance. And you couldn't get two more opposite forms of yeah. movement at that particular time. And um, and so it set itself up as a very brilliant comparison. But there were things like the fact that a lot of breakdance at the very beginning was very male-orientated. It was mm. very Māori and Pacific Island-dominated, whereas you've got ballet that is not child-dominated at all in terms of its structure. It actually comes from England in terms mm. of many of its institutions. But anyhow, it's it's. it's 
it's something that's managed by adults for children. So it's yeah. completely in a completely opposite way. So that was great. And when I finished that, I didn't have a desire to do more and more and more research and set myself up in some sort of academic uh, career based on that type of research. What I wanted to do and what whet my appetite was the fact that I could see all the positive things that breakdance was doing for young people. And I was very interested in working in the field of community arts. Oh, goodness me. Um, Coming together and developing your confidence and working together as teams and uh, creating your own work. If you compare that with ballet, um, things have changed now. But certainly at that time, you went to learn you didn't put your own stamp on yes. it. You didn't create yourself. You did what you were told. Yeah, very formulaic. Very formulaic, yes. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, and I'm saying yeah. that things have changed a lot now because actually the dance world has learned a lot from the hip-hop world yeah. and vice versa. So things and I suppose breakdance would have matured as well, so there'd be set moves that you have to learn as well. Yes, by yes. Yeah. well, now it's been yeah. codified by studios, though, not by the breakdancers or by the hip-hoppers. Because by the studio, been, oh, the dance studio. Studios. Do dance studios. Oh, once you start teaching, you need a curriculum. Yeah, well, you, yeah. you decide you need a curriculum, yes. And well, so you do you, it. And you need the, the beginner, the intermediate, yeah, yeah, the other. Yeah. And then so you have competitions and you have the Can't help yourself, can you? Yeah. Anyhow, so that's sort of that. So, yes, I um, worked in the area of uh, community arts, which is something that I found out a lot more about when I was studying in Northern Ireland. It was a whole movement that had started around the world but was particularly strong in the UK in the late 80s Okay, so now you define it there's the suggestion there is an entity called community arts It's an an approach to art Is that that relatively new then? It started in the 80s Yeah. Okay, so it's a sort of Global or Western movement? Well, even even global, I would say, because some of the best practices of community arts are found in African countries or um, Indian um, in India. So, so what does it give, and what is it that wasn't there before? Right. Well, the arts can be very elitist, shall we say. It's the same prescription that you get in a dance studio where you do as you're told, and somebody has some values that certain arts are very important and should be funded. And, um, you know, usually that's your opera and your ballet and your orchestras. And other arts are less important, and so they wouldn't get the same type of thing. So community arts comes from, I suppose, a stand where... um, People have a right to develop their own arts. But that, that was sort of long-standing, though, wasn't it? With things like the Morris dancers and folk dancing and that got relic- and when when or? you start going into structuring art and ah, starting yeah. having a society yeah. which judges art, ah, okay. all that got relegated to something called folk dance. Ah, okay. And by relegating it into uh, and something, I see your like- hands are pointing <laughs> down <laughs> yes. rather than up. Yeah. by relegating something into a folk activity, you're not giving it very much um, prestige. Yeah, it doesn't have the status because it's for the, no, the common person. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So uh, community yeah. arts is trying to move away from that area of structuring things and saying that something is more important than others. But it also had, uh, in that time, it had a much stronger political thing and that often the art projects were an aim to bring together um, groups who might be um, 
conflicted with each other. So a prime example would be I, when I was in Northern Ireland in the yeah. late 80s, it was still the Troubles. Yes. Okay, so the biggest conflict there was yeah. the problems between yeah. the Protestants and the yeah. Catholics. So the community arts organisation that I met and um, and enjoyed working with there did a variety of work in the community. Some of it wasn't too difficult, but some of it they just head on tried to develop projects that would mm. bring people from those disparate uh, communities together and get them to find common ground. So it's a bit like things. the youth orchestra with Israelis and Palestinians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is that. All that has yeah. emerged from the movement of community arts. That way of okay. thinking. Yeah. So and it's active in New Zealand. It's it's starting to be active again. What happened was that it developed very much into the eighties and nineties, and I can't remember the exact date, but in Britain. The parallel would be when Margaret Thatcher came in, she cut the funding oh, for yeah. community arts and so undermined it a oh, lot. It's like when our night schools yeah. were yeah. very active. Exactly, in that type yes. of thing. Yeah. And in New Zealand, Creative New Zealand used to support, no, it wasn't Creative New Zealand, it was the QE2 Arts Council of New Zealand, used to support regional arts councils and community arts councils and actually provided funding and when I was the community arts advisor for Palmerston North which I was for 10 years um, and I was the first one in Palmerston North so that was at that movement mm -hmm. um, that was funded um, partially by QE2 Arts Council and partially funded by the Palmerston North City Council because QE2 Arts Council used to go into negotiation with councils to try and get them to mm. fund the arts um, but then QE2 Arts Council restructured and turned into Creative New Zealand and they dissolved the Regional Arts Council and they ceased funding the Community Arts Councils and then over time yeah. people or councils forgot what it was all about and it got a bit... Yeah. And, and so some of them fell by the way. Ours yeah, the, lasted the funding for now a while. seems to go more for is it TV programs. It does, and but the good yeah. thing is that in a few, let's say, in the last five years, there's been a resurgence in interest in funding community arts again, oh, okay. and Creative New Zealand have taken that up. So that's quite good. So yeah. if I had a project. Um, that I wanted to do, let's say it could be dance in Palmerston North, uh, it could be a project where we were bringing different cultural groups together, people with disabilities, something mm. like that. I could put a funding application into either mm. the City Council or into Creative New Zealand and I would have as good a chance as anybody else in getting some funding mm. to fund that. So things have come round in a circle again. It's quite interesting. Yeah. So... Are you dealing then mainly with, with young people? No, I am now I've uh, become mature myself. I prefer to work with mature uh, people in dance most of the time, but when I do my one-off projects, like I have done a couple at Tamanua for general community participation, mm -hmm. then I would expect to have families and young people and all ages, but I don't specifically work with young people any longer. There are many people in Palmerston North who work yeah. with young people and they do a jolly okay. good job of it, and I don't have to, so therefore I won't get so tired. So, so how... <laughs> So, so how do you define mature? Mature. Well, my Crow's Feet Dance Collective project 
is for women aged 35 plus. So for dance, and I'm not talking about ballroom dancing because mm. that's different, but for performance dance, for theatre dance or for ballet, that's quite old yeah. to start yeah. dancing. You wouldn't be thinking that. Yeah. So that's why I say it's mature. Yeah. yeah. Um, my dance exercise project that I do, um, I haven't really put an age thing on it but when you advertise classes that start at 10 o'clock in the morning then (laughs) I have a lot of newly retired women that come to that one it's not restricted to women that one but only women have come and uh, that would mean that if a gentleman turns up often they feel out of place because it's all these women that are there but if I do get anybody uh, any gentleman or any men contacting me about exercise and they feel that that's not um, appropriate then I always try and let them know that there are other things that they can go to and indeed I must put a plug in here for the um, Manawatu Sports um, Network what are they called not Sports Foundation is it Sports Foundation Manawatu Sport Manawatu, that's what I'm trying to think of. Yeah, and they put out a um, good catalogue or on their website, they put all the types of exercise things that people could go to. And that's really excellent because it then doesn't put somebody like me in a position like, well, why don't you do this or why don't you do that? You know, lots of people are doing all sorts of things. And as long as people have got access to the information, then we can all carry on doing our different things. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I see the same with uh, aqua aerobics. You get mm-hmm. one or two men sometimes in there, but it's, yeah. it's mainly them. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And there are other types of dance forms that men go to. They do go to folk dance. There's a Greek folk mm. dance club in town. There's Morris yeah, dancing yeah. still going. There's still lots of social mm. dance, and that attracts people of mm. all ages. So, you know, we're not devoid of things for men yeah. to do. Okay. <laughs> oh, there, there is much social. There used to be... Uh, large social dances at what was then the Cosmopolitan Club. I yes. know they don't have those facilities. Uh, but yeah, I, I know so some of the but. dance studios are holding good general classes for oh, class, people. To, classes, yeah, yes, and, and then yeah. they provide other things for people to oh, do, you know, yeah. good regular dances. Mm. I don't know... I, I know that... Um, Tempo Dance Studio, which is Mike Whitson, who's somebody who's a Palmerstonian who's come back, he was running some afternoons at the Cosmopolitan Club not that long ago. Um, The COVID situation has wrecked a lot of things, especially social dance because you can I can teach Mm. dance and everybody's in a row facing me so I can Mm. control two meters apart and all that sort of thing but as soon as you're doing social dance you're facing somebody else at the moment under red it's only people who can dance with each other apart partners that, that I just meant under red means the red restrictions. Yes, that's COVID. right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Otherwise, you know, and people still have to wear masks yeah. and all sorts of things now, like that. Now, so from, it. from your anthropology background, yes. though, because my impression was New Zealand is probably more uptight than certain other cultures about sort of men dancing and, and mm. so on. Is that something you observe? Um, it's an interesting one, and you could. I think we've gone through phases. Uh, I would certainly say that if it wasn't for country dancers, 
most of us wouldn't exist because that's how oh, our grandparents... Like Newbury Hall. And, yes, yes, those yeah. were a big thing. They yes. were a huge thing. So yeah. I blame the 1970s yeah. when we all became hippies yeah. and started doing this free dancing and stopped actually dancing yes. as partners. Roll, uh, yeah. Yes, rock although and rock, roll actually had some good yeah, rock and roll, yeah. you had to learn how to dance yes. with a partner. But, but that, that had gone by the 70s. It, it, it sort of had, yeah. And but, then what happened was that when people wanted to dance with partners, it seemed to be taken over by studios where you had to go and yes. learn yes. rather than having the social dances. But yeah. now, if you look at young people, they're happy dancing with each other. It's yeah. sort of gone through a revival. People want to learn salsa. Oh, so for, for the young ones, yeah. But yeah. Yes, but I'm but thinking more as our older middle-aged middle-aged yeah, um, males. I think missed out on a whole lot, and and yeah. I will be bold enough to say that some of them are wanting to come back and learn yeah. how to yeah. dance now because they realise they've missed out, and it's yeah. quite difficult for them yeah. because because they missed out There's on no so tradition. much learning that often they will go to a class and they'll find that the women there actually can dance better or have had yeah. more experience than them, yeah. but the poor souls are expected to lead, well, and it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it makes it hard, and it has yeah. to be a really good teacher that can handle that situation. Yeah, yeah. You're, mind you, you mentioned the country dances. I, mm. I get several people talking about their experiences at the country dances, and they're, they're not talking about the dancing. They're talking about the girls are lined up along one wall, the men are, or the boys are lined <laughs> up among the other. The boy has to walk all the way across the hall. Yes. Everyone sees them going. The girl says no. The boy turns around. Everyone sees them walking. Probably be the last <laughs> time they ever went to one of those. Yeah. There's something more to that because I was brought up that if you refused to dance, mm. that meant you had to sit yeah. the dance out. Yeah. So at the Newbury Hall, some one who perhaps you didn't feel inclined to dance with mm. would ask you yes and if you had courage yes of your convictions and said thank you but no thank you you then just sat there but there was also you a just sat there yeah. because you couldn't accept yeah there wasn't there was a definite etiquette there was a definite etiquette about it all for some there was a convention I think that they should say yes to the first dance and the, you know, yeah. the, uh, and then say well, right thank you and then mm. go sit down rather you certainly than just had to no learn diplomacy didn't yeah, you yeah, or yeah, you had to yeah. speak your mind in a polite yeah, way yeah it's fascinating yes yeah. yeah, but that yeah. that has actually carried through. I, you know, I know, uh, you know, sometimes in go with a group of people to a restaurant, or whatever, mm. Mm. and you or even in barbecues, you get the women sit down one side of a long table and the men sit down on the other, mm. and it's, it, it seems to be a, it's a very New Zealand, in New Zealand. Yeah, yes, I, I think it is. is I, yeah, I mean, it's not ever been part of, I suppose the what do you say that well, the people that I've mixed with. Yeah. But um, it, it does appear to be common in this country. Yes, I've certainly right, been right. to things where, even if, even if, well, now you see it in restaurants. Even if pairs sit down together, mm. once everything sort of relaxes, they all change, and suddenly you see groups of women sitting together and groups of men sitting right, together yeah. as though they yeah. don't really want to 
to talk with the opposite. It's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, it's not yeah, one yeah, that I yeah. find particularly interesting yeah, myself. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, there we okay. go. Okay. So do you, do you find... Okay, so mainly you've got older women. Mm-hmm. Are they carrying on very long? Is it keeping them very active into yes, their 80s? Is. Say, um, well, it should do. Um, I wouldn't know because I've only been running my projects for five years now since mm-hmm. I've come back here. But when I did my research in Palmerston North, when I was doing my PhD research, I had to look at everything that was going on in Palmerston North in the dance area before I settled on my two topics because you have to provide the background. And I remember then this wonderful woman in her 70s who ran the Allwood Dance Programme which, as far as I understood, had risen out of the League of Health and Beauty, which was something that started in the 20s or the 30s. And she was still teaching. I might be wrong, but I'm going to take a stab and say she was still teaching at 77. Now, here I was doing my research in my late 20s, thinking, oh, hope I can still dance when I'm that age because that was a big deal and uh, now we've got more and more and more people that are dancing at old age and and the other project that I uh, run Crow's Feet Dance Collective which was actually started by a wonderful woman called Jan Bolwell in Wellington so we've got a empire called Crow's Feet because it's in Wellington Hutt, Carpety and now in Palmerston North because I've shifted here but um, that is a performance company which is comprised of mature women. And I think our eldest dancer is 79. So that the age range yeah, in that yeah. dance company so, is something so between 35 and 79. That's, um, it, it's what I would call contemporary theatre style. So the last piece that we did... Um, and we performed it at the Globe in Palms North, I think it was on the 5th of December last year, we did Carmina Barana. We did a dance version of Carmina Barana, and we looked at the parallel between the Black Plague that was going on in Carmina Barana and COVID, which is going on now. So we don't just, um, when we create things, we don't just try and replicate the thing we try and make it relevant and to you now. Choreograph your yep, own. Yeah, all original with. choreography. We used the music, but it was all original choreography. And yeah. with most of us, we try because there's three of us that choreograph it. Jan divides it all up. And we all have our bits. And with my dancers here, I always invite them to be part of creating whatever we're doing and obviously because we're choreographing it ourselves we're creating the type of movement that we're capable of doing so we're not going to do 21 pirouettes and have our legs up sticking in the air but we are going to tell you a story through movement and sometimes we talk as well thank you for listening to Manawatu Conversations this and other recent programs can also be found on the Manawatu People's Radio website and a range of programmes is also available on the Manawatu Heritage website of the Palmerston North City Archive. The address for that is manawatuheritage.pncc.govt.nz. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. 
Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.